Hey everybody, we are Francis, Martin, and Robert, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 33. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis, sitting in the captain's chair. It's one of our Code of Honor episodes, gentlemen. Uh, this has become a really fun exercise that we've done. We each pick a particular favorite quotation and explore how that works uh, for each of us. It's been we've done this is our third time of doing this, and this is a fun concept. I really really enjoy doing these well, things it, here. It gives a listener a, a window into things that matter to us, what makes us tick. It's very personal stuff. It yeah. is. It, 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 we also hit those universal questions. We really want to make these reasons. Yeah. You should listen for the quotes because they are good quotes. They matter. They matter. Exactly. That's right. And uh, since I'm the captain, I get to go first, which I kind of <laughs> like at this time here. I like uh, it. And I'm actually going to stay with uh, stay with my format that I've done. Uh, the past two, I've always gone to, to pop culture. I've, gone, I've done Star Trek and I've done Babylon 5. I'm going back to Star Trek. Again Ooh, here. Big surprise. Big surprise. Yeah. That's exactly right. Oh, but you're going to love this one because I had you in mind when I was doing this one here. But I'm going to steal, it's going to be Spock again, uh, not from the movies, going back to the original series this time, and I'm going to get your most hated episode of all, Robert. Oh, joy. Because uh, you know which one this is. Yes. Uh, I, it, surprisingly, and this is one that's often commented, the episode is often commented upon as being one of the me episodes uh, some people like it, some people don't, but it's certainly not right in the usually not in the top. There's not too many people that are lukewarm on this episode. That is correct. It that it's it, people are very opinionated about this yeah. one here, but the quotation is brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant as Spock often is, and I'll give you the quotation first, and then I'll give you the episode and you know who wrote it and where it kind of kind of where it came about, and then we can kind of go with it from there. Uh, the quotation. Is from the episode "Let That Be Your Last Battlefield." <sighs> Third season, Frank Gorshin is guest starring along with Lou Antonio. There, this for those of you who may not remember the episode, it's the episode where you have a half black and half white, or half white and half black, depending on what you're talking about here. Uh, series of makeup for these two people from the planet Sharon. Literally, white as in mime face on one uh -huh. side, and, and black, black as in. As mime. in Mime face on the other side. And they are at each other's throat for racial reasons for the entire episode. And they are the epitome of the, the worst quality of racism. It, it, how it eats away and, and destroys. That's one of the good things about the episode. Well, I, I think so much about the eats away and destroys so much as it, it's just a... And this is the reason why I don't like it. It's, it's just so in your face. There's no subtlety to it. That's correct. That's heavy-handed. It, it's so heavy-handed. It makes it does make a good point for the time because as as Martin said, you know, we were talking about it during the show prep. It's a point that in 1968 was good to to say. It right. needed to be pointed it, out it, often. It, it, looking at it through the lens of 2020, it seems heavy-handed and and stupid and in your face, which is a good thing, really. Yeah. Uh, but in 1968, through that prism, it's things that need to be said. Right, um, and its whole the whole point was that the differences truly were superficial. It was they were the same color, mm -hmm. literally pure white, pure black, mm -hmm. as in colors. One just had it on one side, and the other had it on yeah. the other. You know, and they used that for the reason for their hatred. Right, uh, and uh, the, the the show was the show was well, uh, and, written, and one of the parts of it that's supposed to be kind of in your face is the crew of the Enterprise doesn't know what they're on about. 
They that's don't correct. get it. They don't understand it. They don't get it. Which they, is that's the both brilliant. Of the, both of the aliens look exactly alike to them. Right. And then it's, which is his own racist comment. Yeah, it's, in it's many ways. a line that I think is it the Lou Antonio says. Don't you see the difference? That's right. Can't you tell? No, I, you, I think it's Frank, Frank Gorshin. 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 Yeah, Frank Gorshin says that. He says, uh, Lokas people, are, are they're white on the right side. All his people are white on the right side. And, of course, the audience is going, huh? And the characters, Spock and Kirk and the rest of them are going, huh? Which, of course, is the point. Yeah. That racial differences are so superficial. How do they come to be where they're going to be at here? Uh, Oliver Crawford's the guy that actually did the teleplay on that. Uh, so the quotation I'm going to give you has to kind of be credited to him, but it's also Gene L. Coon's final episode. He did the story treatment before that. Uh, so who now this is near the end of this the run is, of the original. Yeah, that's series. correct. This, this is, is episode sixty nine. There were only seventy eight episodes, so it's about a little past halfway through the third season. It's so getting close is, to the last bit. This has got to be aired. Pro when was it aired? Like January sixty eight, something like that. Yeah, January tenth, sixty nine. Actually, it was the original air date. Okay. Uh, is when it happened. So, so this, this is, is, yeah, several months then after Doctor King is killed. That's correct. Yeah, 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 a lot of that they would have been pre-producing this shortly after that happened. So racism is very much on the, on the yeah. mind of the people. So again, it's it's through that prism of 1968-1969, it needs to be said. That's right, because the story was originally written way back in the first season, and it was shelved because they didn't think we could do it. Now it morphed a lot. Gene Alcoon did it. He came aboard late in the first season, so he's the one that put it all together. Uh, but it was rewritten, uh, like I say, by Oliver Crawford. Uh, Roddenberry apparently loved the episode. Yeah. Uh, the networks were a little bit uh, worried about it because it was so heavy-handed. But it still has those moments of brilliance in it. And the quotation I'm going to give you, and I'll give you the context for it because it hits our universal side. His, But uh, the Beale is speaking with the crew of the Enterprise, Frank Gorshin's uh, character, and he says that his adversary, Loki, cannot change. He's uh, because Kirk says, "Well, why don't you talk to him? Why? Maybe they can change." He says, "Beale, you know, Beale says they cannot change," and Ch and Spock comes off with this great moment, with this great quotation: "Change is the essential process in all of existence." Speaking from that scientific background, but also from that very human background. He would consider that an insult, but we don't. That change is the essential process of all existence. It is inevitable. To say that someone or something cannot change is an absolute lie. And it's, it is a, a howling at the moon because you don't like it. Exactly. And that's kind of what I love about this episode. That is, that is so powerful. Yeah, a change notion. is absolutely it's the essential process in all existence. Everything changes. Even in death. To. Things change. Correct. Things decompose. That's exactly right. Everything Nothing changes. is static. Uh, the only time everything will be static will be at the heat death of the universe. That's right. Yeah, and that's that's something and we, we presume that we don't even know for sure. That's exactly. gonna happen. That's that's a theory. That's what's so you know. And that like was Nick Fury says, uh, we will continue to act as if the world is going to spin on. Or yeah, I, I'm getting that wrong, but. Yeah, that, but you're, you're exactly right. I, I can't give you the quote myself either, which is surprising. I'm usually good at that, but no. Uh, <laughs> uh, but this one here, it's one of the reasons I like this quotation. That's kind of why we, we do this episodes, is this says something. 
This says something powerful. I've used this quotation in speeches all over the place. I usually say, a wise man said, <laughs> <laughs> depending on my audience, if I want to actually you know, tell them who actually that did it. Want to display your geekdom? Uh, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But uh, it, it's so brilliant. Changes the essential process of all of existence. If we don't understand that, then we are simply weak-minded. Yeah. And that's kind of what the point of this episode was, is these people are so weak-minded, it ultimately destroys them. Because, uh, not to spoil the episode, but why not? It's, you know... It's been 40 years. It's been 40 50 years. 50 years. 50 years. 50 years. I think we can say that the fact that they go back to their planet, Sharon, and they're all dead. They've all killed each other. The only two people are left are Lokai and Beale, and they both escape the ship and continue the chase, even though everything is dead. And that's the commentary the Enterprise crew makes. Uh, I think it was Uhura that says, you know, their planet's dead. Does it matter which one's right? Sulu, excuse me. Uh, does it matter which one's right? And Spock says something that's like, only thing that matters is their, to them is their hate. Again, heavy-handed. But it does really lay out uh, some really great truths on that. And that's why I like it so much. Yeah, but there's an awful lot of crap wrapped around. I'm gonna, say, I'm, I'm gonna leave it to you. Yeah, I'm gonna leave it to you because I know this is this is your worst of all. You, you, you. Well, you know, right up there with it is, and the children shall leave. That's correct. That's my worst of all. You know, right. to me, there is just there's just no worse examples of storytelling than these. Um, the reason I don't like this one mm-hmm. has nothing to do with that quote. It has nothing to do with the fact they're dealing with racism. Right. It's how they deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know. And maybe, because as Martin alluded to, and we, we kind of glossed over that a little bit, when you said that it seems so heavy-handed, so in-your-face to us in today's world, you said maybe that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think I have such trouble with it, is because I feel like the guys on the Enterprise. It's like, what the F is the big deal here? Right. You know, the differences are superficial. They're, the difference in which side is, is a pure white in skin tone and pure black in skin tone uh, is as important as whether or not you have blonde hair or brunette hair. Now, it's not as important as whether or not you have red hair, but that's an entirely different thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, gingers steal souls, so you got to be careful of them. <laughs> you know, gingers are an endangered species, according to some. Now, that'd be a real two, shame. I have two, believe me, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and daughter are both gingers. Uh, anyways, so... You know, maybe it's a good thing that we we hate this episode for that heavy handedness because mm-hmm. we've it feels intellectually insulting to us. There's that, that's the that's oh, exactly you yeah. said it. That's yeah. exactly why yeah. I have my you're issues right. with this because you're right. It, it, it presumes the audience to be weak minded. Yes, and I, and that's an insult. You have to be taught. You have to be taught this much here. Uh, usually, Star Trek was at its best when it was nuanced and subtle. Yes, and it, it created dichotomies. There's that word again we like to use. Uh, that we can explore. This didn't have any of that. This is thinking like, why are we wasting time on this? Because this doesn't seem to be something that should... Nobody can be that stupid or obtuse. In 1968, I wonder, because obviously I was two years old, you were not quite three when this would have come out. Yeah, I was was, was three, shortly after that. Uh, Well, I guess this was late in 68. This is early 69, I was three. So you were three, I was two and a half, you were two and a half. Yeah. Um, we would you know, we'd have no memory of this even being on TV. Yet. No. Well, our memories are all of, of the reruns that we right. caught in the 70s originally. But, you know, when our memories start of this, you know, say let's shoot for 10 as the average age when we're really engaging the episodes beyond yeah. just, you know, this is down here 
you know, Sunday morning fair. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it just it just boggles my mind that so little time has passed from the original airing to when we really become aware of it. And it's like, oh, my God, this is just awful. And maybe it's awful because as a kid, it's just something we don't understand. It's not, an, it's not an adventure story when we were kids. I mean, right. those were the episodes we really Right, you remember the Gorn and Captain Kirk whacking it out on the, on the planet, things right. like that. And uh, you remember the self-destruct sequence in here? That's about the only excitement this episode had, yeah, that's really and, that's, and it's kind of piece. shoehorned in because you had to have something besides this, right? Uh, this and and difficult. This episode features one of my things that I don't like about science fiction. Uh, sometimes is they make the characters too powerful. Oh, that's right. Yes. So because that's part of is they can take over the ship. They can. Mm-hmm. Sloppy writing. Yeah, it, it's that magic. Well, it's, it's a canned I, episode. It it's is. practically entirely on the ship. If that, not is, that is entirely. correct. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's a bottle show. And uh, and, and it's, that's something I don't like throughout um, science fiction or, or fantasy stuff is when they make the aliens or the baddies or whatever just too powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if, if, they can, if they can do stuff with matter... By looking at it, then what's the whole point of any of this? That's right. Yeah, they, they Why does the Thanos need the Infinity Stones if he can just look at stuff and it moves? I mean, yeah. why not just throw every planet out of its orbit into its own sun? Or every other planet. Yeah. You only get rid of half of the world. Yeah, he only wants to get rid of half of everything. You know, and to tie this back to the whole point of this is our code of honor in this quote. Yeah. This episode, it really flies in the face of that quote. Because it presumes that you're too stupid to change. Right. Yeah. The only, if you don't change, it's because you're stupid. Yeah. And, and that's, I guess, what is so intellectually well, insulting. If you try not to change, because ultimately you all you will change. You have yes. to change. And the audience in 1968 that needs to hear that lesson probably isn't watching Star Trek. Well, that's very true, too. That's, that's probably a very good point. <laughs> uh, very, well, you, you raise another good point. Star Trek in, in the third season was 10 p.m. on Friday nights. It's the it's the dead zone. That's one of the reasons well, that they said maybe that, that maybe those are the people because you know the people who don't need it are probably the younger people. They're not sitting at home Friday night at ten o'clock. That's correct. Yeah. So maybe those are the people who do need to hear. I don't know. But by the time we become intellectually able to engage this, it's like I know this stuff. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. You know. But yeah. I know I also recognize that not everybody I grew up with felt that way. Yeah. Right. Not everybody feels that way today. Sure. That's correct. Fifty years later, which is astonishingly. Disgustingly sad. Unfortunately, yeah, there's, there's certain, you know, sin never completely goes away. Of course not. So, that's yours. That's mine. That's right. So, before I hit mine, though, oh, I, yes. I do have a bit of a melancholy chore speaking of Star Trek. This yes, that's plugs right. Plugs right in. We want to say a little raise memorial, a glass. raise a glass yeah. for Dorothy Catherine Fontana. DC. Better known as DC Fontana. Oh, yeah. Uh, she was one of Roddenberry's, I guess, early writing partners. She was his secretary originally, and she basically did something that women in those days were not supposed to do, but she pushed to say, let me write, Gene. Yeah, so she became a writer and editor and a freelancer. Yeah, in days when women didn't do this. Yeah, one of the first women to ever write, uh, especially for science fiction television, yeah. but she also wrote westerns and everything, and... She ties right in to your quote because she is responsible for a lot of what we know of Spock 
his backstory. That's correct. She Sarek did that. and Amanda, mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. parents, his half-human side, mm-hmm. uh, all of the Vulcan culture. And uh, she was the primary writer on Journey to Babel, where that's a lot correct. of this is, is laid out. That's right. Very famous episode. She also did a sequel to that that's well worth, uh, it's probably the best animated episode they did. And they did a lot of great animated episodes. They had a lot of science fiction writers that wrote a lot of really good stuff for those. Samuel L. Peoples and many others. Uh, she actually wrote the uh, animated episode Yesteryear, where Spock, an adult Spock, has to go back in time to save his younger self from death. And doing that, the older Spock does what any of us would want to do. We go back and observe our familial ties and family of origin as a child there when it happens and recognizes that some of this stuff that made us who we are is pretty good after all. And he makes peace with that. And that's a tribute to D.C. Fontana. She understood familial dynamics. One of the reasons Journey Babel works so well is because she got that. Spock mm-hmm. and his family and the tensions thereof, that's what made it a great episode. Well, it's character driven. That's exactly right. And for an animated episode... That is a phenomenal piece of writing. That's right. You've got 22 minutes to, to, to nail this down, and she does so well with that. And she also did several novelizations. Yes, she did. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the story that continued the themes that she laid down through here. She was a tremendous yeah. writer, and she so, will be missed. Yeah. So she passed away just about a month or so ago from today yeah. uh, as, as we were doing this episode. Uh, December 2nd. She was 80 years old. And again... A, a real pioneer. Yes. Yep. A, a tremendous uh, person that it, her contributions need to be remembered. Yeah. Amen to that. So she was one of those blazing a trail of change. That's right. To tie back to your yeah. uh, statement there. Yeah. So uh, raising a glass of bourbon to D.C. Fontana. Yes. A glass Amen. of bourbon to D.C. Fontana's. I'm having a little bit of larceny here the, uh, for this particular episode. Uh, a very good bourbon. Very good bourbon. Yeah, we feature that occasionally. We've done, have we done Arsene before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we did have. that when we were in uh, Minerid. That's right. I thought we did, yeah. yeah. For yeah. one of those episodes. Yeah, and I think that's we... where I first picked it up, and well, we're, we're working it. That's good. It's, a, it's a relatively newer bourbon. It's only been around for a short period of time compared to some of these other brands. Yep. Uh, they do a good, good job, as always. Yep. <clears throat> so, Martin, I think you have a, a quote for us. So, yeah. Now, this one's... Uh, I don't think it's going to mesh as well as we've done before. Yeah, that's all right. But it's, it's again, it's one of those that pops in my head all the time when I look out at the world today. Okay. When I'm bombarded with opinions and news and Twitter and everything. And it's, it's one of those that helps me sort out that stuff. And it's, don't eminentize the eschaton. It's a William F. Buckley. Okay. He kind of steals it from Eric Vogelin. Um, so it goes back into the, the 50s and 60s. Um, but it's, it's one of those where you're taking this concept from theology and, and making it this watchword for for coping with the world. And Only Buckley could make a phrase like immunitize the eschaton a watchword. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to exp- you might want to defi- yeah, you definitely you have to explain that. To yes. Oh, that's where I'm headed. Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay, good. So what it means though is the the eschaton is heaven. 
Okay. It's the final world. Right. Eminent is the real world. Okay. Where we are now. So don't eminentize the eschaton is, look, you're not going to make our world heaven. Right. Our world is not perfectible. Right. Whether you believe in heaven or you're Christian or whatever, immaterial. Mm Mm-hmm. This world is not perfectible. Humans are not perfectible creatures. Right. That's something we've discussed, and that's always one of my things. Though we strive for it. Yes. It does not mean we do not try. There is grace in the striving, as we've said before. Right. But humans are not perfectible creatures. Therefore, the world we inhabit is not a perfectible world. So our structures, our, our institutions have to be built around that concept of understanding Mm -hmm. there's no perfection here, but we can build to cope with that. Oh, yes. In other words, you should always recognize that no matter how good you can make things, humans are still involved. So therefore, it's not... uh, not, If you set yourself up for an unattainable goal, then you're less likely to try. And so, it always fails and always leads to disappointment, and it always leads to the notion that institutions must be destroyed. So let me let me um, throw it throw this out to see if we can universalize the uh, the statement so I that everybody can understand. Yes, it. I think you're going to. So would we say in layman's terms that what this means is hope for the best and plan for the worst? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Law should be constructed in that idea. The the Things we do as a society, as a as a polity, I think is the right word. Yeah, should be driven by that notion. Not that, oh well, if we pass a law, then everything's going to be perfect. No, it's not. We can't eminentize the eschaton. Oh, I see where you're going with this. Yes, you're saying because that- every it seems like every government program now is built towards the idea of. We can perfect our experience. Well, yeah, on it's this world. well. It, there's a there's a level of hubris that's built into the way things are done. I here. love the word hubris. I know it's one of my favorite words we like to use. Uh, I that, love when you pull out hubris it, it, because and this is trying saying don't do that because if you expect this to be this magic bullet, this panacea or whatever, yeah, you're probably going to expect everything to be that way, and it's just it's just not fair. Yeah. Well, it's not right. Has, it's it, not even close to being correct. It has a, a very real danger of this. And, and really, I think this is where we have landed, maybe because people have tried to immunitize the eschaton. Mm-hmm. And that is that if you think what you're trying to bring about is the perfect, mm-hmm. as opposed to the good or mm-hmm. the best that we can do, then anybody who opposes you is evil. Is evil. Oh yeah, we go back to that. We talked about yes. that. Yes. You yes. can't you can't make political it differences are no longer policy. It's I want to do something that perfects the world and if you oppose me, you are evil. Yes. And yeah, it's, which is kind exactly of like where we are. Uh, an almost necessary conclusion to this process you're talking yes, about. Exactly. If you think that you are perfecting things, then anyone who opposes you therefore must be evil because that's the only way that you, you can't, you know, nobody recognizes the humanity in the other yeah. side. Right. And because if it's perfect, it's automatically good. Well, you're idolatrizing yes. yourself and your yeah. policies, which 
by definition can't be. Napoleon and, was and famous he, for that, thinking of himself as greater than God. He's not the only one. That's but what you, happens. you get to the point of, don't you understand, I'm making the world perfect. I cannot brook dissension. And uh-huh, we're very yeah. much in that kind of a position right. uh, in our world right now. Mm-hmm. The, there cannot be dissension. There cannot be disagreement. Therefore, you must be destroyed. Uh, you know, if you don't agree with X, mm-hmm. then time to put you against the wall. Right. It's like that, the, that's immunitizing the extra time. Well, yeah, it's it's put them put them against the wall. Right. It's to to use a funny example. It's like the uh, Facebook meme that you, that you both have probably seen. It's like guy says, "Oh man, I love apples. Why do you hate oranges?" What about grapes? Why do you hate them? What's wrong with you? What do you have against seed, you know, uh, you know other fruits? <laughs> what about vegetables? Why do you hate all of them? Just because you like one thing doesn't mean you hate something else. Yeah. Just because you disagree doesn't mean you hate what you disagree with. Mm-hmm. All of that stems from thinking you and your ideas are not only better mm-hmm. than what anybody else has, but better in the moral sense well yeah because you're you're using a good god ordained it's no it's no longer legislation it's it's a drive to save the world right and you're the only one that can do it it is legislating morality it's even more than that it's legislating being a savior it's Mm. i'm advocating a policy that makes me the savior of the world yeah so um, yeah, but it also you know it's it's very self-serving too in the fact that you know if you are the savior of the world then you cannot be opposed. Therefore, yep. uh, there's and you're not open to uh, influence or adjustment in any way. It's an idolatrization of the of the self, uh, and they fail yes, to, they fail yes, to to, to learn self. that basic basic understanding. Man cannot be God. Yeah. Uh, and you know that's the same story of Frankenstein, Jurassic Park, and so many other things. Yes. Yep. Uh, and that's what you're talking about here. Is you're trying yep. to become God. Yep. Thou shalt not. Yeah. And and beyond and those are all perfect. And I even use it again as this grounding of, okay, you're attacking an institution. An institu- Yes, there was an issue. There was a problem. But it's not the institution that must be destroyed. It's a, you have to understand institutions are made of people. People are not perfectible. There's always going to be this. Even and, and we can reform and move forward without scorched earth. You don't always have to take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. Because it's right. not always the only way. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. Well, you know, the, the, the what was the thing you just said before that? Uh, Grounding? I like that word, by the way. Oh well, yes, that, that was a true, very yeah. good way of you know. Yeah, that's and that's what this quote this. does for me is it it's that it. ground floor way for me to analyze what's coming at me. Yeah. Don't eminentize the eschaton. I'm liking it. It's very good, sir. Very yeah. good. Yeah. It's not very pronounceable for some people, but that's all right. <laughs> I may be mutilating the uh, pronunciation myself. So. Well, there was only one William F. Buckley. As we that's know. true. That's, that's true. Right. Yes. So uh, speaking of William F. Buckley, uh, Robert, you had something. <laughs> hmm. Are you saying I have something from William F. Buckley, or am I? No, you don't. I don't. Genius intellect. Genius like intellect is where I was going. There. Okay. Yes, exactly well, right. I can deal with that. So I'm going to go. Um, 
it's it's a takeoff of uh, themes that I touch on a lot, and I and I apologize to listeners if I if I beat this drum constantly. But it's a good drum. It's a good drum, um, but it sort of plays into Martin what or uh, what you had just talked about with imitating the eschaton, and that is that in um, in Matthew twenty five. Jesus gives us the parable of the sheep and the goats. Right? Oh yeah, one of my favorite scripture passages. And I love this because it's a reminder of of how we need to a reminder of so many things: uh, need for humility, mm-hmm. uh, the need to take care of one another, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what we think of them. Mm-hmm. So the the whole point of that parable is when Jesus says, "What you do to the least of these, you do to me." Right. So, because the whole point of the parable is, you know, he says to the sheep, enter into the kingdom of God, for when you saw me hungry, you gave me food. When you saw me thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was sick, you visited me, blah, blah, blah. All those many corporal works of mercy. Yes. And he says to the goats, depart from me into the eternal fire, because when I was hungry, you did not feed me. You know, it's basically the opposite of what the, the sheep did. Mm-hmm. They both say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? And so on. And that's when he says this, what you did to the least of these you do to me. Part of that's that brotherhood of man that mm-hmm. for genetics, we all know, you go back far enough, we're probably all related yeah. somewhere, sure. right? So certainly in geographic areas. <laughs> right. And But it also goes to a theological sense because for, for a Christian, you know, there's the brotherhood that we gain through baptism because uh, we're all grafted into the, the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So we are all yeah. uh, related in that sense. But it's also a reminder, not just because you know we have to take care of family, and that that's a very that's nothing wrong with that message. That's a tribal it. message, though. It is, um, but it is very much a reminder to not do what you were talking about, to not immunize, because it's it brings it down to a personal level. Because oh, yes, when you say that, it's easy to say. Well, of course, we cannot perfect this reality because you know we're in it we create things that are flawed because we are flawed you know what is flawed cannot create what is perfect but the result of those attempts is when we start doing to the least of these what we ought not to do to him right Mm -hmm. so we lose that respect for the inherent dignity of the human person we love to talk about so much well i love to talk about it Mm -hmm. you're so Um, on man like you're just killing it i love this but it is really to me, it's just such a wonderful reminder mm-hmm. of those things. Um, you know, if you're a liberal politically, you probably think, well, of course, you know, that's why we want to take care of everyone. But they want to do it through these perfecting systems, which are not perfect. Right. And of course, any opposition is evil. Conservatives, political conservatives, would tell you that, well, this is not the approach that government ought to take. This is what individuals again. They have a perfect system that is the only way to do it. And if you want to do it the other way, you are evil. Again, it's about not dehumanizing. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's one another. Yeah, because both systems, no matter which side you're on, tend to dehumanize. Exactly. We think only of large groups that makes it easy to dehumanize. Right. And he doesn't say, when you saw my friends in jail, you didn't come visit them. When you saw my friends mm-hmm. hungry, you didn't feel anything. So when you saw me, mm-hmm. he individualizes it, mm-hmm. which, granted, is also a group because it's members of the 
body of Christ. You know, it's 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 both and. It's group as well as right. individual. That's what we lose sight of too often. Is this both and yeah. of the group and yeah. the individual? Mm-hmm. It's what makes identity politics so horrible because it loses the individual. Yeah. And well, it's, it's that group yeah, thing. Yeah. If you it, it steamrolls over that because yeah. you know it's for the reason of efficiency. I don't know whatever it is, but uh, they they tend to. It's easy to dehumanize what you don't understand. You have to depersonalize so you can dehumanize. That means you're uh, if you think only in groups, it's easy to do with them as yeah. you will. Right. Yeah. Because I don't know if Stalin was the one that said this, but you know, two or three murders, that's a tragedy. A million is a statistic or you're a statesman. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, well you yeah. know, like PG O'Rourke said, a mob will never buy you lunch. Right. <laughs> so when you when you protect the individual, when the individual is at the center of your system, the group takes care of itself. That's exactly right. right. The group all can't groups, be abused. All groups take care no of No matter themselves. what the group is. That's exactly Whatever right. Whatever your tribal identity. That becomes irrelevant. Yeah, and using tribal in the broadest sense of right, right. whatever people that's decide the, to the identify way. them. It doesn't matter what your pronouns are. If the law respects the individual. Right. And when we talk about the individual, we don't mean that the individual is supreme above the group. Because, again, that's taking it the wrong way. Well, yeah, because that would be an injustice, too. Right. Because then, then somebody gets, who's, somebody's ox gets gored. Right. The rights of the individual have to be balanced with the rights of the group, as well as the responsibilities of the individual have to be balanced with the responsibilities of the group. Hello, Bosco. They have one of our, what do we say? Four-legged a, friends? A, a canine member of Snakes and Otters yes. is joining us. So we'll, yeah, that's awesome. Anyways, so that's mine. You know, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. It really is not just a statement of how you do ministry as a, a member of clergy or someone who has a religious uh, uh, activity in their life. It is truly how you should deal with one another mm-hmm. we are our brother's keepers to a certain, to degree. A certain degree that's correct and then we not are res- entirely because we no. still have individual responsibility correct. but we also have the responsibility to correct our brother well uh, there's a there's a place if you've ever been to the holocaust museum in dc it, there's a the the last part of the tour is at the very bottom it's on the first floor and there's this grotto with the eternal flame it's got the names of so many that are on the walls and it's one of those cheer chilling eerie moments because it's absolute dead silence you go in there but on the walls it has a quotation from the book of genesis that says what have you done your brother your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground that's what god said to cain after he murdered abel that encapsulates very clearly what you're talking about here in its most extreme form we have to care for the other person otherwise we will dehumanize yes yes and again to me, you know, all of this stuff is related. Uh, whether it's the change, immunitizing the eschaton, or what we do to the least of these. Because all of it goes back to the relationship that people have with one another. That's right. The moral grounding of society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Has to recognize all three of these concepts. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that ability to have relationships... Uh, and, uh, <laughs> so, so Bosco is down here in the in the studio, and it's great that he's come to visit because it, you know it, it breaks it up. It's always good to have a dog around. He said, "What are you talking about, humans?" 
but he's over here on his back, making his little t- uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex legs uh, <laughs> as he's scratching his back, just wiggling, and it's it's hard to 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 keep a, a straight thought in your head. But anyways, I think what I was saying <laughs> was all this is so interconnected. Uh, we have to change, otherwise. I mean, we have to. That's just right. We, well, we will. <laughs> we will. One way or another. That's I don't, right. Even if it's just from life into death, there right. is change. Uh, right. n- not every day is the same. Uh, we're not perfect. We cannot make things perfect. We can strive for it. But in striving, we have to recognize that we are individuals as well as members of groups. Mm-hmm. And that in that striving, we cannot dehumanize right. one another because we are all members of the same human family. That's right. You know, what we look like underneath the half white side, half black side, is exactly the same. You That's peel right. our skins off, there's no difference. That's right. We are still human. We are still human. And so... Wow. Know, to me, okay, it that, all goes back to that. I mean, our production planning on this episode, listeners, was minimal. <laughs> Most of our code of honors are. We, we, we don't really we, do that much. I mean, we're not kidding. Yeah, we, we were winging this one, and it all... It always works together. I did William F. Buckley, you did the Gospels, he's doing Gene L. Coon and Star Trek, Yeah, and we weaved every bit of it together into a coherent meta, message. Yeah, meta-narrative. You know, and we we did this, and we probably do this from every one of these, including Hoopajubes. And we say things like, these are just going to be something quick and fun. Now, this was fun. Yeah. But this was not comedy. <laughs> no, no. Well, the dog I mean, was comedy, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it's just, I don't know. We, we're going to have to be careful, man. Our heads are going to get so big, we're not going to be able to go back up the stairs. <laughs> well, hey, when, you get, when, it, when it's good, it's good, right? It's kind of like good bourbon. You know have, when it's good. We're going to have to put, like, on Bosco's collar... Remember, thou art mortal. Yes. And then he walk around behind because we're we're getting kind of big headed about how good we are at this. Yeah, that's right. I'm teasing, but uh, that that's tremendous stuff. Tremendous. And again, I just talk about last episode that passion, and and again how these these episodes open this window mm-hmm. and they're so personalized and different from the history episodes. And it's you know, I gotta say. I, yeah, you know, for years we've always said that we needed to record these things. Because, you know, honestly, that's the kind of stuff we've talked about for years. Listeners right. are probably going to think that we're blowing smoke up their rear ends. But this is literally the, what, the stuff we have talked <laughs> about what for we do. years. This is what we do when we get together. We always end up going in this direction somehow. We, all, we actually sit around, and like the best conversations should do, we talk about life and, and our place in the universe. I mean, we have fun, and we, we're not always serious, but, no. you know... This is just this is this is just another Thursday to us. That's right. And I like to think that we're fairly intelligent guys, but not stuck up. That's right. Know? I agree. Uh, not the. I don't think that we have necessarily anything better to offer than uh, indiv- anybody. Anybody can, else? Anybody can do this. Most people but just we don't. Do it. That's right. Most people just don't. That's all. And it's the synergy of the three of us coming together. That's correct. Yeah. That's what we have to offer. That's different than anything else out there. And yeah. uh, you know, you, you talk about it a lot. But this synergy where we build on one another. Mm-hmm. I did not know for sure what quote I was doing until after I sat here and listened to the two of you. That's why I decided to go last. Because oh. I wanted to see what you guys were going to do. And that's why I chose the one I did. And thus, again, 
Very minimal pre-production. Yes. <laughs> and yet we've built something really cool. Yeah, it was really good. That was, that was that, fantastic. That's such good, that's good stuff. And I mean, then, and just, who else is doing this? Just us. I mean, okay, Will Ferrell's podcast, Ron Burgundy, is, is not this. No, 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 no. Nor do we want to be. <laughs> so wouldn't mind having their followers, but no, that's you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a different it's, thing. It's, it's a different thing. But it's us. Sorry. It's uncompromisingly us. That is that true. That is correct. It's very that important. is true. That's right. What do we call ourselves? Uh, uncompromising cultural critics. Yep. We, yes. We, we definitely yep. do that. That's right. Well, that's great, guys. We've done a fantastic episode yet once again. Uh, you uh, make sure listeners that you tune back into our next episode. We're going to do our, our heroes episode again next time. And we're going to do one. I'm excited. Robert, you're going to lead this one. Vincent Van Gogh. Yes. We're going to talk about him. and is it Not not really him. His art. Well, we're going to talk about Van Gogh. And uh, we're obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about him, give some background. Right. But I think I want to talk about the impact that he has had uh, as a dead artist <laughs> compared to the impact he had as a live artist. This is going to be fascinating. It is. I think it's going to uh, be yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, again, it's going to tie to things we've already talked about. Yeah. Um, and... and the, the visual language of our world is tied to Van Gogh's art. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Make sure you're here. Don't miss it. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.